What up, y'all? This is Brittany. I'm Mandisa. And I'm Jamal. And we are your hosts of. We're your hosts of. And we're the host of. Living Millennial. Living Millennial. Living Millennial. A podcast where you'll be hearing three different perspectives and emerging stories from three different millennials on everyday life and trending topics. Hey, y'all, welcome back. This is Living Millennial. I'm Brittany. It's Mandisa. And this is Jamal. And we are so, so happy to have y'all back. Mandisa. Yeah. Where are you at, girl? I'm always someplace new every episode. So yeah. this time, <laughs> uh, I'm actually in Seattle. Uh, so shout out to all of our listeners and supporters in the Pacific Northwest area. Um, I'm still on the Jitney tour. This is actually our last leg. This is our final stop here in Seattle, which tonight is actually our opening night. So shout out to the Jitney company. Happy opening. Um, and we're actually at Seattle Rep, which is the only theater in the country to have produced all um, 10 August Wilson plays in the, the 10 play cycle. So, wow. So, um, Look at that history. Right. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we're here and that we get to build on that and be a part of it. Uh, it feels amazing. So, um, yeah, I'm in Seattle. Yes. Nice. Might I add yes. for the listeners, Medisa's? Skin is glowing. <laughs> on a whole nother level. Yeah. Dang. Seattle's doing water, tea, well. and omega three. Mmm. Yes. I don't do well pills. Jamal, where you at, bro? <laughs> I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, I just got back to Los Angeles about a week ago. I was premiering a new show that I'm working on in San Francisco. That all went really, really well. So I'm back in LA now, working like always. I don't know how to stop. And uh, yeah auditioning have some things that i'm on hold for this week and yeah so a little stress and a little overwork but feeling good mm. jamal stay good. <laughs> listen listen <laughs> today i was working with the client because you guys know i do home organization so i'm working on like a new building that's furnished and things like that and uh my client that hired me was like what are you doing jamal i was like i have to run out to record a podcast like Weren't you at an audition the other day? I was like, yeah, I wasn't. But weren't you just out of town? Premier? I was like, yeah, I I was. Like, all those things are true. I do need a break, though. So we'll see. It's coming. It's coming. Okay. Yeah, it is coming. Um, Hey, Bernie, where you at? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Uh, of course, I'm in San Diego. Um, But I was in L.A. just a few days ago. I went out there. It's a day trip on a Sunday. Um, I went over to, uh, shout out to Black Temple, actually. They had a panel that was very powerful about women of color and mental health. And uh, the full panel was just beautiful and funny and vulnerable and strong and courageous, all the things. And uh, I was just very happy to be in that space. It's a, it's a tremendously safe space for women of color. So I was very happy to be there. You know, of course, networked a little bit, networked a little bit. So we got some good things coming out of that. And uh, right after that, we actually went to, don't ask me where in LA, but some other place in the LA area um, at another like art show. Um, I believe their handle is like the body is a home and it's a nonprofit for uh, sexual assault survivors and uh, make sure they get a resource and have a sense of community um, and support as well. And then they had like a quick little panel. So it was again, another strong, like just powerful room to be in um a lot of 
black queens. Y'all know how I love my black queens. I'm so excited to see us. Um, so it was just great. Natural hair everywhere, like all the things. So it was it was a really good, a really good trip. And again, more networking, um, which I'm always happy to do. Speaking of networking, mm-hmm. I'm done talking about us. Because okay. we have two incredible guests here with us today. Tell us about them. So we have our girl Milan in the building. What's up? What's up? (laughs) Tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and who you are. So I am currently a finance clerk. I have a history and massage therapy. I use that history quite well in my personal space. Um, A lot of people don't necessarily know how to take care of their body on a regular basis and wonder why it is between massages every five to seven months that they are having physical ailments. So usually I help in that space to make sure their kinesic energy is being used well. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you and welcome. I'm excited to talk about, um, you know, our actually interesting topic today. We're already talking about spaces. You said spaces a few times. So just keep that in mind for the listeners. And we have a second guest, Marissa. Welcome. Hey, y'all. Hey, what's up? Um, So I'm Marissa. I am an attorney. I am a Navy veteran. I am a policy advisor and a field director on a few campaigns. Um, And I am a servant to my community. I love my people. Um, I don't like people, but I love people. Um, So I love love being a servant to my people and helping them in, in moving forward in every way. So that's who I am. So I hope y'all just have a sense of like how much power we have right now in this room. We're about to get pretty deep. But before we do, y'all know it's time for a little game we like to play. Would you rather? Alrighty. So I have the question and I'm going to ask you all. We And each of us do not have to answer. Gonna be a three-hour episode. Y'all know how we do on these games. We don't <laughs> <laughs> but everybody does not have to answer. So I'll give you two scenarios. <laughs> you can't change nothing. You can't change anything about it. Okay. But you have to tell us which of these would you rather be or do. Okay. Okay. All right. First one. Would you rather cook or clean the kitchen? I'd much rather cook. You much rather cook. Why? Because cleaning the kitchen is a pain in the ass. Mm, speaking to my soul. <laughs> I feel the same way. And I love to cook. I love to get creative. That's a fact. You, she shows me pictures at work sometimes of some really good stuff that she, that she hooks up. So I get it. What about you, Marissa? I'm cooking all day. <laughs> all day long. I am chef in the kitchen. I get real, real about my food. <laughs> yes. She from Texas too, y'all. So that's yeah, that should have been a dead giveaway right there. Yeah, I'm play. <laughs> I'm play with my food. Never. <laughs> what about you, Mandy Saw? I'm cleaning. Give me the Clorox wipes. <laughs> okay, I'm. I want to. I love a clean kitchen. Like that makes me so happy. And to know that, like I did it, and it's gonna be how I want it to be. Like, mm. you know, when you, I'm the person when you're cooking. Like I'm at the sink washing the dishes as we go. I'm like. Mm. Yeah, I've been to your place quite a few times. You do have a clean kitchen. <laughs> right about that. 
<laughs> it should have been roommates because you could have that part. What about you, Jamal? It would be both. My mom raised me to clean as I go. So usually when I'm done cooking, the kitchen's already clean. Boom. Boom. I like <laughs> would you rather, my friend? Uh, I guess, I guess cook. Yeah, let's say cooking. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Looks it's like a hard one because I genuinely like to do both. <laughs> and so, yeah, but, but I guess if I didn't have to clean, I guess that would make me happy if I'm, yeah, if I can't change anything, I guess yeah. I would say cooking. And what about you, Brittany? Yeah. Um, what about me? I would much rather cook. I hate cleaning the kitchen with like everything in my body. I hate cleaning the kitchen. I'm going to purchase an Instant Pot <laughs> strictly so I can put everything in one pot and just clean that. That's it. All the other things. Okay, one more question. Would you rather be woke? I'm using quotes for the list. <laughs> or would you rather be oblivious and bliss? How kind of question is that? <laughs> it brings us to the discussion. Okay, my friend, would you rather be woke or would you rather be oblivious but in bliss? Marissa? I would much rather be woke because obliviousness is not bliss. It is convenient. Ooh. Damn. That was deep. I like that. I love that, actually. Milan? I love to be woke because being oblivious is definitely not the place to be. Being woke is being aware, and being aware is being joyous in your own space. Deep? I, I can't even add nothing to that. Like Right. I think they did it, right? They both? <laughs> yeah. In a nutshell. I do tend to be a little envious sometimes about some of the oblivious folks. I'd be like, dang, you really think that? <laughs> do they really? And I wake up. That's scary, <laughs> though. The bubble, the bubble they live in, that's scary. That's yeah. tremendously scary. Tremendously scary. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's, let's go ahead and get right into the discussion. So this is our 21st episode. Clink, 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 clink. Y'all know how we like to do clink, clink, clink. Um, and so this show is about different, <laughs> this show is titled Different Faces and Similar Spaces. So we definitely want to talk about being who we are and being a minority in spaces where there is a majority. And we all are at pretty significant levels in our careers um, where, you know, through conversations in the past, we've, we've already had those experiences, right, where we've been in minority and whatever shape or fashion. Um, so I'm going to ask, um, can you recall any of your earliest uh, remembrances of identifying or acknowledging your ethnic identity or even your gender, either or? Jamal, go ahead. Um, I definitely remember realizing that I was Black. Um, it was by way of the documentary Four Little Girls by Spike Lee. We had a screening at my elementary school in 1997 when I was just, I was born in 88, so I was nine years old. And uh, the reason why we did was because uh, one of the little girls that was, uh, that lost her life in that bombing of that church in Birmingham, Alabama was my principal's little sister. 
And so my principal at the time was in the documentary and interviewed with her family about that bombing of those four little girls. And so uh, that's the first time when I realized that uh, there was a world out there that didn't necessarily like me for the color of my skin. And that's when I realized because these little girls were around my age that, oh, that my life means something different because of the color of my skin. And so I was nine, year, nine years old um, when I really realized the full capacity of that, growing up in a predominantly black neighborhood. Yeah. Wow, significant. What about you, Marissa? So I would say my childhood was very much very wholesome and very diverse because I grew up in a military community. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know that I really noticed that I was black, even though there were different shades and different types of people, it wasn't really a thing. I think when I really fully came, became aware, it could have been earlier, but when I really remember was um, when I left to go to college, actually, and I went to a predominantly white school, I went to Baylor University, and at the time they were 7% black, and it was... Um, very noticeable mm. um and there was there was like i guess meme back then um would have been a meme now but back then it was just kind of a thing where uh we had like this pseudo student club that said um yeah i go to baylor university and i didn't play a sport to get in so Wait, I um, that's when i was like really for sure aware of yeah. knowing that I was black and y'all don't really like us like that, that. part yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like there's certain biases thing mm -hmm. yeti wait can can you repeat did you say I did or didn't play a sport to get in did not play a sport did, to get did in. not oh I okay I see mm. that's deep my first remembrance was boarding school. I went to boarding school in Mississippi at um, Piney Woods School in Piney Woods, Mississippi. And it is predominantly Black. So the first occurrence I had was a girl named Bernice Froyer. And she had this long hair that was curly. And I had wondered why does, why is there no one from my hometown that looks like you? There is not a single person that looks like you and you know she gave me the story of her background and how different it was even though she had grown up in Mississippi it was just very different and it made me very aware and her parents when they first met me because I spoke the way I still speak now they go oh we thought you were different and I said excuse me well we thought and I said it's okay um, but that was definitely my first remembrance of knowing how different I was from other people. It did make me very aware in my space and in my skin, um, just being with her family. So that was definitely my first occurrence. I too think I grew up in a pretty diverse, uh, group of, group of friends and neighbors and like who I went to school with, um, even in Michigan where it was primarily, it was either a lot of black kids or white kids at the school. Um, we did have a few um, uh, uh, Hispanics and just like a few uh, um, um, 
other kids there. Um, and so there wasn't a, a turning moment for me in which I really like where I had a profound realization of my of, of my ethnicity or, or really being black. Um, but it was when I went to um, the school that I went to for fifth grade. I had previously been in like predominantly black elementary schools. And my new group of friends was this group of um, of white girls who just seeing like when I go to their houses for birthday parties and seeing how they interacted with their families and even the things they did for their birthdays. Like for for one girl's birthday, we went to a um, a stable and like petted horses and rode horses. And that wasn't a thing that like me and my black girlfriends did. Uh, you know, like we would have parties in someone's house in their backyard, you know, like someone's dad is barbecuing or something like that. Um, so just seeing culturally what was what was different I was like oh this is how other people live mm, I like that too I like everyone's answer um, <laughs> mine I would say it's actually kind of a mixture of uh, Milan and Marissa's like it wasn't until well I, I will say this I always knew I was black um, growing up in Chicago growing up I mean I had literally I was in majority black schools. Everywhere we went, it was black folks, black, 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 we black, like they say, right? Um, so um, it wasn't until I transferred schools and I went to school in a suburb instead of the city. Mm -hmm. And my third grade teacher was white. And I did not like her because of that reason. Mm -hmm. But that was because, and I, now that I think about it, that was because when we were taught about Black history in schools, um, our, my teachers, who were Black, taught it in a very biased way themselves. Mm. That makes sense. So, um, yeah, instantly I didn't like her. She was white, and I've never really interacted with anybody who was white, at least that I can remember. And... Um, I just, I remember like just looking at her and, and, and no, not even noticing that she was doing anything different. I just was unhappy with like her existence. Um, but the more we interacted, the more I was able to, um, you know, just like put that aside. Even in third grade, I was like, this is silly. Like, she's fine. She's cool, whatever. Like, she's showing us pictures of our kids. It was all good. Um, and she's probably the one teacher I gave the least trouble to. Um, but even, even at that age, I was thinking, okay, knowing our history, um, that doesn't necessarily set our present, um, at the same level, if that makes any sense. So I don't have me being a black child who knows that there are disparities in this world and ha definitely have, has been disparities, um, pretty significant ones. Like that doesn't mean that this person who is different from me should be, I should hate them because of it wow. so it really it, yeah so it really wasn't a um at that moment my first recollection recollection wasn't a a bias towards myself it was my own bias towards someone else oh wow I'm surprised you gave her less trouble she was cool I thought you were gonna say the opposite no, she was cool she was cool I <laughs> probably because I was scared at first but um <laughs> but um 
So, yeah, so I think we each kind of touched on two of the different spaces that we grew up in. It sounds like most of us grew up in spaces that were majority black, right? Well. Black-ish. Marissa said you were in a pretty mixed space. Because of the military, yeah. Yeah, my friends, my circle of friends were black. Okay, cool, cool. Same. Same. Yeah. Like there were a bunch of different kind of kids around, but like all the friends who knew where I lived and came to my birthday parties. Black. (laughs) Yeah. See, because I grew up in predominantly black communities. However, my father lived in a community that was Latino and predominantly white. Um, And so those were weekends every other weekend. But my life was. Yeah. So. So. okay, So let's compare. How did you guys feel in in those other spaces like were you pretty confident in that space were you were you were you comfortable um for myself i can say that i felt fine in my predominantly black community actually because i was a you know for lack of a better i mean i guess my community penned me as being weird because i was always an eclectic human being growing up in this black community i was into all types of music that wasn't just you know the popular music at the time in my community I was a big R&B head, but I can also get into punk rock and pop music as well. And then Mm -hmm. I loved hip hop, but then I was also, and so a lot of my friends in the black community would make fun of me and, you know, uh, make me feel less black, you know, by saying, oh, you talk white or you act white or you're going to marry a white woman, things like that. Since I was very young, before I even knew what that meant for me was always thrown at me before I made a conscious decision of any of those things. It was kind of like cast upon me in my community. And so I went over to my dad's house and I was accepted by, you know, my white friends and that wasn't a thing. And there wasn't commentary from my friends Mm. about my race. Um, I kind of felt like, oh, these people rock with me and my, me being eclectic. And so it was kind of like the reverse for me early on elementary school um, through like half of middle school. You know what? I can I can actually relate with the um, Jamal with you saying that oh you're talking white and you know what the the person who said that the most to me was actually my sister mm. oh like my own flesh and blood she was also like even now my sister's a little ratchet like she you little hood and we didn't grow up like that like. She, that like when she was out on her own, like being an adult, she also hung around like people who were not making good choices. Just like, not that the wretched, you know. <laughs> is a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a time and a place for wretched. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for, and so for someone who in my own home would say that to me, that I feel like that cut deeper than than anything um, coming from kids, which which no one really, or you know, like, did you do you all uh, ever get called like an Oreo when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like occasionally that would happen, but I always viewed myself as a as more of a chameleon, um, so that like I, <laughs> Amy being a Gemini, like that. The chattiness of like wanting to float between different groups, which especially in college and and undergrad, like getting older, um, and being able to float between different groups, similar to to you, Jamal, like having um, having the you know the things that you do with different groups of people that always felt kind of normal to me because it also allowed me to appreciate the things that I did or the new things um, that I would be learning from my different friend groups. 
Yeah. I can I can actually relate with all those things. I feel like I was so growing up up into high school, I remember me and my friends like having like joking with one another saying how the other person was more ghetto than the other person like anybody else. And we would have it was almost like a contest. Not that we were trying to be more ghetto quotes um than the next person, but we were just like, oh no, you ghetto, no, you ghetto, no, you ghetto, right? And then <laughs> I went over to high school, which is when I, you know, found myself in more diverse spaces. My high school was definitely a melting pot. We had, you know, we were all kicking it. Okay. Like I actually love high school. Shout out to Premier High School. Midlothian. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but that's when folks were calling me an Oreo, or I would have people that asked me, black or white, why do you talk like that? Why do you talk white? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Um, and at that time, I did feel some type of way. And I remember even saying back to them, like, first of all, I'm black. So anything that comes out of my mouth is black. And you sound dumb using that type of terminology. <laughs> like that was just easy for me to like blend in but then even later I realized okay I could, I was cold switching and we'll definitely get into that but at that time I was thinking more like you like I literally can talk to anybody about yeah. just about anything at any time any place I am in I'm an ambivert so I'm a I'm an extroverted introvert right so and when I'm actually out there talking to people you know, I'm having a really good time. You would think we were the best of friends. That's just who I am. And I get that from my dad. Um, but again, at the time, I wasn't really identifying that I could have been and I very well was cold switching at the time, um, which, you know, we definitely, I want to definitely get in more depth with that. But um, as far as being in those spaces, though, in high school, I felt comfortable all the time, like across the board, I was so authentically me at all times that regardless, I was comfortable and there, um, and if ever I wasn't comfortable, I'm now realizing it's because I may have had some of those microaggressions, but I attacked it right then and there and I addressed it right then and there that allowed me to become comfortable after that life. Yeah. Which is so good on young you. I didn't have any of those words to articulate that. Like, I knew how it made me feel on the inside, but like, because microaggressions are really tough to deal with until you understand what a microaggression is. And mm -hmm. if nobody taught you that by middle school or high school, or if you don't even recognize what that could be to say something or like ask your parent or teacher or something about it, then like, that's tough to deal with. Yeah, and many people who are exercising microaggressions oftentimes too are unaware of it. It's like the way that we've, you know, grown as a society, we all have little ways of doing that without even realizing it. It's kind of like a protection or a power move that we do. And so sometimes microaggressions aren't completely uh people all involved in that situation aren't always aware, even the ones who are doing it. It's kind of like being passive aggressive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're kind of you're kind of passively trying to get your way yeah but i'm interested to hear uh what about you marissa what about your experiences so my experiences um i i feel like i've always been comfortable um because i don't think my parents ever allowed me to have a comfort zone um so even though i grew up with black friends in a black space um i went to private school 
from first to sixth grade and it was fairly mixed. It was predominantly black, but it was fairly mixed. But when I came out of that private school and I went to my first public school, it was predominantly white. It wasn't enough for me to recognize that I was black in a predominantly white school. But if I think back on it, um, I can see where there were the differences and that it was predominantly a white school and it was out of my school district. So um, when my mom petitioned for me to go to that school, it was, a, it was the brand new school and um, the counselor, we had to sit and talk with the counselor and we had to go through this whole process because it was out of the school district. And I remember um, my parents and I going to the counselor's office and the principal's office right before school started and they were going to approve me going to school because I was a straight A student. And they told me if I got in any trouble or gave me all these stipulations, then they would not allow me to go to this, attend the school anymore. Um, and, but I became, I was like a, a counselor, a student counselor worker and like did all these things. So when my sister went to the school, all the teachers remembered me like, oh my gosh, Amber is the sister. And so she was treated well because of the, the groundwork that I had laid as being like a model student at the school. So that was one thing that, I mean, I was just never in a comfort zone when I was 10. My parents sent me off to in a program, people to people student ambassador program. And I went to Australia and New Zealand for three weeks um, with a group of students. And when I think back on the pictures for that, it was me and one other black boy. Um, we were the only two black kids out of maybe 30 kids that went on this trip. But it was, always I was always in these spaces and places and programs and things that I was a part of that I was maybe one or two of the only black person or persons within that program within that space like I said I was a straight A student I was in like the honor society and doing like Spanish competitions and all these things where there were no black people in that even though all my friends were black and I was just, they just knew me as like, oh, Marcy, she's just a smart girl. Like we, we know she, that's just what she does. Um, so I was never really considered an Oreo per se. They just thought I was just me. And that was just me just being into books and academics and um, really just kind of focused. So I've never really felt uncomfortable. I've been annoyed by being one of the only but i've never felt uncomfortable yeah i feel that we all nodding like yeah yeah annoyed it's annoying it's annoying <laughs> hey friends so unfortunately we did have to say goodbye to milan early but expect to hear more of her voice and her story very soon also a common thread that i'm hearing and correct me if i'm wrong um, but getting to a certain elevated place within education or within an educational institution is where we start being that only person or one of few, because just like we're saying, like talking white, talking with diction, pronouncing your words correctly, that this is that this elevated speech is is somehow an other that is yeah. 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 your education. That's what we're doing. We're and doing. I wouldn't even and I wouldn't even say that it's an elevated speech. Like right. everyone speak differently depending on where you come from and your culture, 
cultural background, even white folks. Like it's not just something, however, with the systemic things that exist within our culture, especially here in America and in many places around the world, we minimize the human experience and say that it's black or white or it's this or that, you know? And that's just because of the country and the historical context that we live in and it's up to us to challenge those things because when we first start what i'm hearing is when we first start hearing those things about race it's like oh wait no nah, i'm just being me um, which yeah. i'm sure we'll get into later on when we talk about the complexities and the nuance with code switching because everyone does it it's like literally the it, it's the difference of hey, talking to a baby and say hey baby and then talking to an older kid with a different tone that's code switching in order to relate to a child or to relate to things and so there's so much nuance involved as well yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. So so to, to define code switching for anybody who's listening, who, um, you know, may have not uh, heard the term before or looked it up or whatever, you're probably using it in the wrong context, like y'all do every damn thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Don't shade our listeners. <laughs> but I'm sorry, however, so code switching is the practice of alternating between two or more languages um, or even having a variety of languages while you're having a conversation with someone. Um, so again, you know, we may we may have heard someone, you know, look at. I'll use this for example. We may have heard someone be around maybe a white guy who, you know, may speak a little hood, and somebody's gonna say, "Oh, why are you talking black?" or something like that. Um, which indeed, like that could just be his speech, or you know, he could be potentially close looking at that moment. A tiny little example of that. Jamal, love the example that you gave about, you know, speaking to a baby versus speaking to an adult, um, because yes, that is indeed code switching because people drop English when they speak to babies. <laughs> like, <laughs> no longer speak appropriately when we're talking to a kid, giggy boo boo, whatever we're saying. <laughs> um, so my question actually I would love to pose is, for any of you, do you think that if you're ever code switching or identifying when you're code switching, um, are you using that as um, like a survival tactic? Meaning like, do we think that it could be instinct or just genuinely a mask? Yeah. So I think, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of instinct. I think it's a little bit of a mask. I. I think that code switching is um, very useful and very necessary in a lot of ways um, because it helps us. When you're talking to someone, you're always you should always be thinking about who your audience is because you want them to understand. That's what communication is. Communication is making sure that who you're talking to understands the message. And so code switching is a way of making sure that your audience understands your message. Um, and that could be, in, in it, it can take on various forms, but I think it becomes very necessary in knowing who your audience is, understanding how to relate to them, and then using that relatability to then make sure the message is heard and the message is received. So it's a little bit of instinct, um, it's a little bit of a mask because I think white people don't really have to think about code switching. Um, I think it is a thing that only people of color or specifically black people have to really be concerned with. So in that case, it can be a little bit of a mask if you don't know how to kind of be authentic with it. 
Um, but I think it's very much instinctual and it's very much necessary. And I think it is really about being well-rounded. Mm. Mm. Hmm. So many things, so many thoughts. Things. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't dis disagree with much of that. Um, I don't think this is a conversation we can disagree on. I mean, you can, but I think that again, speaking about nuance, there's so much because I find that for me, I find that code switching, there's so much nuance. Everyone actually does do it. The racial aspect that comes into it, I think uh, I would apply that more to privilege and power within our society more than I would associate it to people of color, the only ones that have to think about it. Because if you're not a person of color, um, you know, there's still accents. If you're from Texas and you're going to New York City and you're trying to get a job, like you think about, because we have this whole thing in society about when you're from the South and you have a Southern drawl, we associate that with ignorance. And we got Black, Brown, Latino, Asian, so many different types of people from the South as well. And then also talking about the socioeconomic thing that comes into code switching too. If you're a poor human being in society and you're living in poverty, whether you're white, Black or whatever, whether you're thinking about it or it instinctually comes in, because I find that more times than not, it instinctually comes in. Um, yeah, and so that's the only thing that I would say about that. I think that it does exist across the lines. I think that, again, our historical context in our world so much points to race. And it's always Black people say, nah, but there's this ghetto white person right down the street, too. <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? And I think that's the society that we live in, unfortunately. So we have to continue to challenge that. I And then also, I think that there is authenticity within code switches. You know what I mean? Like me on this mic right now on the podcast is very different than I sound when I'm speaking, when we're just hanging out, smoking some weed and chilling. You know what I mean? And I didn't, I'm not thinking about how I sound right now. This is authentically me in this space behind a mic, you know, just like if I am the only white per black person in my graduate class in graduate school, which I was, you know, the way that I'm talking to them, I'm not thinking about, oh, am I changing my voice? It's like, yeah, my voice probably is changing. But if somebody hit me up from D.C., where I'm from, born and raised, and we really shooting the shit. Yeah, without even thinking about it, I'm going to slide into that. But I'm still authentically myself within all those different spaces. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's authenticity that comes with uh code switching as well. And if you're intentionally code switching, then I think that's when you're choosing to put on a mask in order to uh, relate or feel comfortable or feel safe or feel more intelligent than you feel you are. I think that we have to challenge our own insecurities when we do it intentionally and put on the mask of code switching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't disagree with anything either one of y'all just said. I definitely think that it's, it's instinct. It can be instinct. And I think I, I certainly agree that I'll say this. I believe that we're the ones that have to think about it most because we're the ones that I have talked about it the most with mm. without having to teach or answer any questions. Right. I think whenever I'm in a space with majority white folks, majority younger white folks, I can sense when they are code switching and I'm putting that in quotes because I can sense that it's not authentic with the things that they want to talk to me about as well as um, how they're speaking to me um, cause, and I can still look I'm, I can read people pretty well so I can still look at like how they 
you know, are interacting with other people and I notice the difference. So with me being a pretty natural, you know, code switcher, all for all the reasons Marissa stated, um, yeah, I can always sense when someone else isn't and it's mostly been it mostly has not been people of color. I will give, I will call out and give a shout out to the master code switcher out there. Who? Barack Obama. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he, for all, again, for all the reasons that Marissa stated, like he was able to, a lot of people are able to identify with him. He's still his authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, but in each and every room, he's relatable. Um, and he, you know, he's, the necessary language at that time um, without dumbing himself down, without trying to make himself seem even more articulate or even more intelligent than, you know, than he is all those things. Like he was just, he was just himself. Um, and, and we're not a monolith. None of us are, you know what I mean? We're not one dimensional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. We're not one dimensional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See? Going back to, I keep hearing the word authentic, authenticity, and when engaging with different groups of people in different environments, another word that keeps coming to my mind is credibility. How far does your credibility authentically go with a group of people? Like, I spent four years living in New Orleans. If I go back down there, like there's a certain way that I'm going to talk with the people down there in order for them to know, like, I'm not, I'm not here to run game on you. Like you can trust me. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're here. We're on this level together versus how I'm going to speak the, the, the terms that I'm going to use when I'm with a group of coworkers or something. And this isn't something I would actually have to do, but let's say I'm giving uh, a presentation to, to potential investors or what I would actually be doing even as a stage manager. Like if I'm out and about networking or at, you know, some opening night party and I'm like talking with producers, like what mm-hmm. that as far as, um, uh, as how I'm marketing myself to them in that certain situation. Yeah. Facts. Facts. Yeah. Now, do you guys see any disadvantages though to code switching? Well, actually I got a question for your question. <laughs> <laughs> answer hopefully (laughs) do y'all think code switching solely applies to language dialect or can it apply to um, like your clothing choices absolutely okay yeah yeah i wasn't sure if that was included in the definition but yeah we say yeah (laughs) i do think it's important um and how Actually, what I'm thinking of or what made me think of that question is how um, I was working as an administrative assistant at a theater company. So and this was back in New Orleans, too. So I would be wearing dresses and flats to work like, you know, the, the like Ann Taylor <laughs> look. <laughs> like, oh, you were an Ann Taylor? Oh, yes. From the thrift store. Um, but wearing things like that to, to work. And then I'd come back to school, like going into rehearsal and before I would change into practical like pants. Um, there were a few times that fellow classmates would remark like, oh, you, you look like a teacher or like you're dressed like a, like an older white woman. And I'm like, 
but that that is who I'm around. Like that is the business in in which I'm conducting myself wearing this. So in order for them to, as a young woman, take me seriously and get me a little further in conversation with them, I have to somewhat dress the part. Yeah, yeah, professionalism. Right. That's what it is. Professionalism is, uh, you know, you'd have to code switch when, it, you know, when you're at work. I know I have to. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing to bring up, too, because you can also get into identity politics, because we do know as people of color, like what's expected of us, like you can be wearing a pantsuit from Ann Taylor. But then if your job is like, oh, but that fro, though, that's unprofessional, it can get into other things. And so speaking about the nuance again, I see Marissa over there. I think, what are you about to say? <laughs> so I being in the legal community. Uh huh. Um. The legal community is slow to change and um, professional is dark colors, black, gray, dark blues. Um, and I stay away from all of it. I wear bright colors purposefully. I wear the oranges, the, the bright blues, greens, yellows. I wear all kinds of colors for that reason, because mm -hmm. my thought process and my communication is what I wear does not change what is here mm. in my head. I will still be the professional. I will still be professional even in a bright color mm -hmm. because that's not unprofessional. Mm -hmm. um, and I will still handle your matter the exact same way that I would if I had on dark blue or bright yellow. Um, and so there's a lot of what you're talking about nuances. There's a lot of things in the legal community specifically that speak directly to the need to code switch or to look the part. And I feel like I look the part regardless of what I have on. I, I always look the part because I am the part. Yeah. Yeah. Talk that talk. So, That's great. Um, it just it it can become so it can become such a conundrum of mm -hmm. thinking about how to fit and how to weave into these areas um, of what people have made the norm mm -hmm. of what people have said is appropriate or what works or what doesn't work or is or what isn't. And to me, it's, um, I liken it to the same as having different roles. It's, it's the same as having a different role. The way that the relationship I have with my husband is not the same relationship I have with my mom, is not the same relationship I have with my friends, is not the same relationship I have with my sister. I wear different hats in every single one of those roles, but I am still always me. Yeah. And so it is the same way. I wear different hats in professional er times and areas and spaces, I am always still me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. is going crazy over there. She's writing. When Mandisa is writing, we know it's about yeah. to fail. <laughs> yeah. And I think this conversation is so important, too, because I think as black and brown beings in the world as well, as we speak about this and say it's necessary to code switch or when we use the term, you know, I think in the second TED talk with Harold Wallace, he was saying something about Obama being a professional code switcher, right? And 
I'm sensitive to how we talk about this conversation, especially with black and brown beings, because I don't want people to think that, oh, you need to learn how to be different in different spaces. Because we deal with that all the time where our white counterparts don't have to as much. And it's not to say that this is right. It's not to say if you shook the white man's hand and then shook the black man's hand that you're out of touch. That's not what that means. You know what I mean? And so to say that Obama is a professional cold switcher because he dapped up this dude, it's like, actually, nah. If uh, if someone comes up to you and put your hand up like this, you know it's a dap. If someone does this, you know it's a handshake. And so it's just about like being aware. I don't know how many daps I messed up this week just because like the hand motion was like in the wrong place. I told this Italian man yesterday, I was like, well, you came in like this. And so, you know, you put like link in at the thumb and then pull back with a little tension. So we tried it a few times. We didn't get it. He felt bad. I said, oh, don't feel bad. I get it wrong all the time, even with my people. Because sometimes we're like, ah, 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 oh, all right, awkward hug, you know? And it's just, <laughs> it's okay to be who you are authentically. And the more authentic you are in all spaces, the, you will find your way of relating to so many different types of people. Like when I first went to college and I went back home to DC, I was like one of the only black people at my undergrad and people were like, a roommate would call. And it's like, why are you talking different? I was like, I didn't even realize I was talking. It was just how me and my roommate talked to each other when we were on the phone. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about, you know? And so I think for black and brown beings, it's important to reiterate that authenticity is number one. If you're making a choice to code switch because you feel like you're not smart enough or you're not being taken seriously enough, that's when I say it's time to challenge the spaces in which we're in rather than you choosing, I need to change and be different in order to be accepted. Absolutely, yes. Yes, and I do think there is something about meeting people on the level that they're at for, for going back to relatability, um, that doesn't necessarily involve you changing your core, but recognizing um, who you're talking to and, and whatever the subject is, recognizing how you can best connect with them on that. Um, and whether that's just for like to get information from them or uh, if you want to put them at ease and just, you know, have something casual and humorous. Yeah. And sometimes we need to be put at ease as black and brown beings. Yeah. Also throwing that out there too. Recognize when you're the one that always teaching the white people around you how to accept you and again, challenging them to meet you where you're at, because we're always in those spaces. Women are always in those spaces more times than men are, and people of color are in those spaces more time, more times than our white counterparts are. And so also, I would say be aware of when we're always meeting at a level or teaching white folks or women teaching men or vice versa, or like LGBTQ teaching straight people about them. It can be a real conversation, but if I'm always meeting you where you're at, I'm exhausted. Right. I've been having that conversation, that exact conversation actually pretty often lately. Um, Cause right now in the space that I'm in Monday through Friday, I am one of the only women of color. Um, and I'm also one of the only like younger staff members as well. So I find myself in some pretty interesting conversations and I have natural hair. So often when I come into work and there's something different about my hair or whatever, it's like, it's not, but here's the thing. <laughs> Every first, the listeners can't see, but everybody's eyes got big. <laughs> um, but the conversations have shifted now because, you know, it's almost like, you know, everyone's intrigued and they want to talk about it. And I have to pull away from actually like, you know what I'm saying, having those teaching moments. But if you call twist 
braids or or locks dreads, I will. Or locks braids, or I get my locks too strength. Oh, do you took your locks out? Nah, motherfucker. I just yeah. them together. Take them yeah. out. Right. Or braids, locks, like dreadlocks, all those things. I will take the time to teach you a little bit about that. Yes, I will. <laughs> However, my, when, <laughs> um, what I need to, I'm trying to refrain from doing is like being on spaces and and like really giving into that as often because it's now it's now a thing of like, oh my god, your hair's different. It's like a celebration. It's like no, it's just. I, and it wasn't and it wasn't for you to be so excited about me changing my hair. Or I'm pretty sure some of y'all have ran into this when you get braids with the extensions and then like sometimes your friends like, your hair grew so fast. It's like you Ooh. just saw me yesterday. High school. Like, you just saw me yesterday. Please stop playing this game because you sound yeah. real dumb. I know I wanna I wanna mention um someone who is actually our, our company manager who before we left San Diego, because you know, we're talking about the others recognizing when the, <laughs> the non-POCs, the others. This, this conversation is full of air quotes. Facts. <laughs> um, when the quote-unquote others are the minority in the space and what that feels like and how you can totally be normal and have conversation with us and you don't feel like you need to like blacken your voice or, or do weird movements or attempt to dap somebody when you you don't want to dap or you're like i don't know what to do with my hands yeah. <laughs> before we left san diego um because at five minutes we all circle up and someone said something encouraging or just positive or whatever you know was on their mind that day um and she recognized how often she is the other in our our circle um even though we so much the company will bring up um how as the other how much august wilson's words and how much this work means to us and the people that we impart this on uh, from city to city and so just hearing her acknowledge that um was a was a, a profound moment because she wasn't trying to take anything away from us it was just saying i recognize that I am the other, and I also hope that, um, or first appreciate that you all have been so accepting of me, but also that I hope that I have not um, had any negative impact on how you move in your space. And we were like, no, we we are you with you because you're also you with us. Mm, yeah, I think this will lead us to actually why Marissa is even here because she had said something so profound on the panel that I had gone to um, about, you know, being, you know, maybe being the minority in the space of majority and our perspective that we take um, and acknowledging that and um, identifying that. And I'll say this, up until she said what she said, which hopefully she's going to say again, but up until then, my perspective on that was just honestly just negative. Um, and I became more... Um, more cognizant of what I was doing, how I was doing it, um, and what that, what they may perceive of me because of, again, just natural human behavior, right? So that's my experience with that. And that was, you know, my perspective, which I'm learning and I'm growing. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And what was it that Marissa said on the panel that made you change your mind or that influenced how you think about that today? So the discussion came up about how 
how do you feel always being the only one or one of maybe a handful? And my, my take on that is um, the way that I started to deal with that, because I was getting to a point where I was being exhausted by always being the one to explain and to speak for the Black community. And I took that and I flipped it and I said, okay, um, I, I am a representation. That's why I'm in this space. I am the one that you get to interact with. God has put me here for a reason and I'm going to be the ambassador that you are looking to find. So with that, I now embrace being the one. I now embrace being the only one in a lot of spaces. And I take it to say, I'm going to educate you so that the next time you have an interaction with someone who looks like me, um, I'm going to help you fill in the blanks because that's what bias really is. Bias is your brain not being able to fill in the blanks for the unknown information. And so I'm, I'm going to help you fill in the blanks because there's a lot of things that you don't know. And so the stereotypes and the biases are filling in what you don't know. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you truth today. You get, you get to interact with me and I'm going to take this moment to teach you. And that doesn't mean taking on the burden of always having to educate, but sometimes that means telling you, you cannot touch my hair. You just can't. Every time. (laughs) Because I don't like it. And a lot of black people don't. So you will know if I don't like it and you associate me with every other black person, you will know that the next black person you get in contact with, you're not going to try it. Don't Mm -hmm. do it. Um, So now I enjoy being one of the only. I don't want to be the only one. But if I am, I'm taking it and I'm taking the opportunity to arrest some of those thoughts that you once had and to change your perspective on who I am. And if I change your perspective on who I am, maybe it will help your next interaction with someone who looks like me. The the positivity on that spin of it is is so like that really just resonated with me just now because so often I do hear across all the spaces and like all my friend groups of of um of of my black friends who are so tired of having that burden and carrying that around but thinking of it in a sense of that we're all building blocks in this world of who you meet and who you interact with that you saying something to little Bobby over there when Bobby comes and we have an interaction in the coffee shop a week later Bobby is a little more knowledgeable about going into his interaction with me however small or big that may be but like you just helped Bobby help me so now I ain't gotta fuck Bobby up today in the coffee shop (laughs) language queens so for for example I talked to I mean I talked to a lot of white people just to be honest and um they do have questions and and my thought is I'm I'm not gonna I'm not going to uh, punish you for your questions. Mm-hmm. If you have questions, mm-hmm. it's okay to have questions. You start assuming stuff, I might have to hurt your assumption. But you can ask me the questions because I will answer the questions and I'm going to answer them truthfully. Um, and what I do at this point is I give people both very raw but very poised 
moments of me so that they understand we are well-rounded people. Again, going back to we're not one-dimensional one dimensional individuals. So there's parts of me that might get me a little riled up and you gonna know it. And then there's these other parts to me that are very um, teachable, that are very nurturing, that are going to embrace your ignorance a little bit better than if you did said something over here that's offensive. And I'm gonna correct your offensiveness in love, but you're gonna know you're offensive. Um, yeah. So I, I engage all of those parts of me with people so that they will understand that every stereotype is not wrong and every stereotype is not right. Mm. There are parts to this, there are levels to this, and you need to know that all of those exist. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I cannot agree anymore. And I think the big message in all of this too is that we have the power to correct people and also to let them know, as you're saying, Marissa, when something is offensive. And so instead of operating in the silence that we've operated in for so long, I want to challenge us that if something's offensive, say, hey, actually, I would prefer for you not to ask me that anymore. I understand that you're trying to compliment me on my hair, but I actually don't like when you make comments on my hair. So we should stop today. I appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> And that, and you do have to, and I think that goes back into some of our other episodes about boundaries, right? Yes, if boundaries. we don't voice those boundaries or voice those concerns, and there's many reasons that I think are valid why we don't, but I want to challenge us to, even when we're uncomfortable, to do that, to take the time you need to breathe and to process your own thoughts so that you can speak on that. So you have to keep operating in the same spaces, feeling uncomfortable, because I think that is not something that we should continue to do or allow or to excuse. And I want to eliminate the phrase, I do this with the youth that I work with all the time. Well, I did this because this person said this, or I feel this way. Let's own ourselves. Let's own how we feel about ourselves. Let's build our own self-esteem and how we envision our future, our present, and our past so that we can hold that power rather than passing it over to other people that we may think are superior to us. Mm -hmm. Think, keyword. That we, that we think. Once you start to listen, once you start to really see yourself as the king, queen, them, they, powerful human being that you are, there's no space that can minimize that because then you realize that you have the power to say deuces. <laughs> if, it's not a, if it's not a safe environment, you know another opportunity is going to be right around the corner. No door is the last door. <laughs> That's just something that else that they tell us to keep us down. There's always something else. You may have to plan for a month before you quit, whatever, but just know that you actually have the power to formulate your what your life looks like and how people treat you. And there's a way to do that with love and respect, even when you feel like you're being disrespected. Yeah. That's, yes, all of what y'all just said. Um, two things, too, that reminded me of that. I feel like we do have a lot of folks out there who um, their response to certain questions that they get about, about Black culture, um, their response is very angry. I know that because I see that. I was also once that person. But I had to realize that we are at a time where, you know, folks really do want to learn and what we know about our history is not what everybody else knows about our history. Um, how we were taught is not how everyone else was taught. So I, when I realized that I had to remind myself, okay, now I have to show grace. And I did 
indeed take on that um, responsibility, not a burden, but the responsibility to educate when necessary, which means I have to be very cautious of how I'm doing that. But then it also reminded me too of, um, especially with Marissa giving all her, all the reasons, like the long list, which is necessary of, of, you know, having that responsibility and taking on that responsibility and embracing it, it reminded me of, you know, Black women at this moment are heading the um, industry of diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. We have, so as a collective, like we, you know, we do have that responsibility. um, And I think our generation is a big part of that as well, because we're, again, we're, we're right here where we have folks who love black culture not and but are still curious about black people right or still have their biases and their prejudices of black folks so and us now having being able to have a mature conversation and us having language now like code switching to identify certain things which again is to me still human behavior um you know we are now more equipped to have those conversations we also have less of the anger. <laughs> I, listen, I guess it depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, less, a little less angry. Just a little yeah, less. it really depends on the day. And I think, I, yeah, I think what you're saying is really beautiful, um, Brittany. And I, again, I always do this, but I think it's important. It's not, it's not always what you're saying. And I also don't think it's always how you're saying it. Like we speak, I think the person from where I grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland, that's still on the outskirts of Southeast DC, the way that you speak right now today is beautiful. And if you feel disrespected or minimized because the way you speak today in the way that you speak without switching anything, you have the right to say, hey, I don't like that question and I'm not gonna answer it regardless. And so I I want us to be aware of like how we qualify, how we do these things because where you are today, and I work with, you know, I work for a porn arts company for youth that stutters in New York. And this is what we tell our youth all the time with their speech impediment. The way you speak today is beautiful and you should be listened to and you should be heard exactly where you are. So I want to give that to all black and brown people and people in general too, um, as you find yourself and how you like to present to the world. I'm curious about how code switching um, Marissa appears for you and shows itself in either the various clients that you deal with or in general the different umbrellas that you deal with with uh, your practice of law so my practice um it well one it shows up but it doesn't show up as often as it would because i have my own practice Mm -hmm. so that allows me to do a lot of things and to have a lot of leeway to do things the way that I want to do them and to take on the clients that I want to take on. So that's one part of it. How that shows up though, is the fact that a lot of my clients are young, either startup companies or young people who want to be entrepreneurs. So my practice is in business, nonprofit, and intellectual property. And a lot of my clients really don't know a lot of the legal. They're not very 
uh, savvy in in the legal space and and um, the verbiage um, and the legalese of what these terms mean. So it does come to where I am um, kind of, I don't want to say dumbing down because that's not it, but where I am um, kind of breaking things down to its basic level to really educate as opposed to being a lawyer. Um, So I become a teacher. Then when I'm dealing with other types of clients, businesses, mid, mid, size businesses and businesses that are up and running, um, nonprofits uh, that are a little bit more savvy, um, my, t- my, my terms change quite a lot. Um, and, and I take on really the form of more attorney, more um, a, of a different speak. The other part that shows up in is in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am still in the reserves. I was active duty. I'm still in the reserves. And my position right now is an executive officer. So I'm second in charge in my unit. So there's the commanding officer, there's the executive officer, I'm the executive officer. So going up the chain of command looks very different than going down the chain of command. Um, so the people under me talking to them is completely different from the way that I would speak to um, someone who might be an 06 or above um, flag officer type, as opposed to me talking to someone who's my same rank or someone who who, who rank is below mine. Um, that comes up a lot, especially with the fact that I have a lot of young people who are my same age, but a lot lower ranking than me. So when I talk to them, it is very much on the colloquial, what are we doing today? Like, what's going on? Why we ain't got this done yet? What are we doing? Y'all want to leave? Y'all want to get out of here? You better get this done. As opposed to me sending off a report or, or briefing my CO on some matters that has happened. So there's a, 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 a gap there. Um, And then in just the spaces that I am in, in the community. So I am an advocate um, for a lot of issues. So I'm like speaking at city council hearings, I'm speaking on panels, I'm speaking in so many different spaces throughout the community. I'm working on campaigns, political campaigns and different things like that. So I'm always like translating um, specific Specifically on one of the campaigns that I'm on right now, we have three different offices. My office that I run is the office in the Black community. And so I was able to hire from that community. And so my office looks very different from the other campaign offices. Right, right. Extremely different. Um, Those other offices don't have black people in them. Those other offices are made up of college educated people, professionals and other types of people who have gone to school, who have had other opportunities. Whereas my office is straight hood folks, just to be honest. And a lot of them have have not, don't have skills, don't have real skill sets. Um, so the way that I deal with them is a lot different 
than the way I would deal with college students. So my expectations for my office is a lot different than the way that than, than it would be for other types of backgrounds. But I am I give grace to my office because, you know, sometimes they show up late. Sometimes they I tell them they're spoiled because they ask for a lot of things and I I give them snacks and, you know, I keep my office socked with but with a bunch of stuff. But if they were a lot of college students, I'm, I would be like, is you not getting paid to be here? <laughs> you know, so it, it, it switches in so many different arenas. Um, but with my clients, it's very much I, I go into an educational role a lot more often because of who I want to work with. So I make myself available to do that because yeah. I want to be available to my community who who typically does not have access to legal resources in that way or are scared because of cost and other barriers historically that um, when you hear attorney, you think money, you think expensive, you think I can't afford, you think I can't ask questions, you think that. And so I make myself available and so I switch hats a lot in that in that space because of who I want to make myself available to which is amazing and I I commend you for that deeply um and and I also throughout that heard so much of of you being in response to what the different people around you need especially if that puts you in a teacher role which doesn't put you or, or and tell me if I'm reading this wrong, which doesn't put you above someone. It just puts it, it puts you on their level, but in a way that opens you up to impart something that will help them um, deeply in what they're aiming to do. Absolutely. So I always take on the thought process that, um, like I said earlier, I don't like people, but I love people. Um, and that comes from, I am an introvert. I'm an introvert with extrovert skills. I can be in my corner with reading my book and not bothered by anybody and I'll be all good all day. Um, but I have learned that uh, who I am, I, I feel like every part of me is always representing something. And what I want to represent to people is one, um, I am, I am a child of God. I am an ambassador of God. So I want to always present God's love to people. I represent me, my name, my husband, my parents. I represent all of that in, in me. So that's why I, I enjoy taking on the role of being the educator, being taking on that responsibility to be a teacher to people um, because I do love people. I do care about people really my mom says this all the time. I grew up hearing this all the time. Don't ever think you're better than anyone. So I never think that I'm better than anyone, but I understand why I am where I am and what that requires of me. To whom much is given, much is required. I take that very seriously. And so that is why I take on the thought process of dealing with people the way that I do. Woo! <laughs> this is why she's here. Uh, this is why she's here. Uh, this is why she's here. Hey, this is why she's here. Okay, well, that's that's your brand is being authentically you regardless, right? And always presenting yourself as just who you truly are. Um, and that's, I mean, that's pretty significant. I will say one thing that you also said too, um, 
the night that we met was, you know, that it's a privilege to be around you. And every single thing that you just said on this show, like, just amplified that, basically. Mm -hmm. I feel very privileged, Queen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so any last words uh, for our Black millennials out there, millennials across the board, you know, our folks who are listening who may have felt some type of way being a minority in a space with a majority. Yeah, what I would say is, again, just reiterating that there's so much nuance in these things and we can go on talking for another five hours about this. And so it would be great for the community listening to do your own research on code switching, find out what that looks like in your life currently, ask yourself when are you being authentically yourself and when are you putting on for the room that you're in and how do you feel doing that and also do the research on not just co-switching but the difference between language and linguistics as well uh, because that all goes into this conversation and i think a lot of times within our community and racially outside of our community we can be challenged in these ways about our authenticity and how we speak there is no such thing as speaking black or speaking white, these are things that has been cast on our communities. And so I challenge our listeners, my last thoughts is to do some research yourself and to look at your life and to find out when you're being authentic and when you're not being authentic and how code switching activates itself in your life. Ooh. Bring I up the challenge. <laughs> Good. I, honestly, I would just say the last words, just, just be you, just have a, self, a certain you know, self-awareness and um, self-esteem that allows you to be in any room in any space and feel confident in who you are and how you leave that room. Um, you know, it's, it's, I forget who says this, I think it was Maya Angelou, or maybe it's Abraham Lincoln, I don't know, whatever. But someone said, you know, it's not about what you say or, or you know, what you said to a person, it's about how you made them feel. And I truly believe that. Um, and, and I've even had folks come to me before that I've, you know, probably haven't met, but they've heard me speak in front of a room before. And there was something that I have said that they've resonated with and it, it made them change, you know, their views on certain things um, or even their lifestyle. So, um, and I, that may not have happened if I was not authentically me. So yeah, I would just say, just, just be you at, at any given time. Um, but of course, like let's move with, with a certain amount of self-awareness that allows us to do that. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, she ended it so nicely. Um, <laughs> I'll say being in response to your audience uh, has really resonated with me today, but also how can we shine our light, build for ourselves in a way that um, breaks through the clouds for someone else and in a way that we can pull them up um, and continue building and educating each other. Um, and ask yourself, as, as everyone have, has already said, how can you be your most authentic self? Um, and how can you be the change that you seek? I would say we are not a minority in any sense of the word, um, not even numerically. We are dispersed throughout this entire world as Black folks, as brown folks, um, we are only numerically minor minorities in the United States. So if you think about all, all the countries that house Black people, we are not even a numerical minority, and we definitely are not physical 
or mentally um, inferior in any way. We are the culture. We are the people. We move this country in every sense of the way that it needs to go and people follow us. Um, we are the pulse of what is cool and what is known to be great. So let's challenge what we think of when we think of minority. Mic drop. Mm. Yes. Okay. This has been so great, Marissa. This has been wonderful. I love it. Well, thank every last one of y'all, of course. Um, thank you again, as always, Mandy and Jamal for um, creating space to talk about these things. And a huge, huge, huge thank you to Marissa for being here. Um, As expected, you honestly said such profound things. We want to continue to highlight the voices of, you know, the people and the folks who are out here doing the work. Um, These are conversations that I don't hear other shows having. This isn't stuff that we hear every day. So I want to make sure that, you know, I just show much gratitude. Of course, as always, to our listeners, Again, thank you. Be sure to uh, subscribe, like, comment, find us on Facebook, Living Millennial Podcast, Instagram, Living Millennial PC. We got some great things coming your way. So be sure to continue to tune in. This is Living Millennial. Let's wrap this up. I got to go. (laughs) I have so many more questions about your work. I know. We are living millennial. Oh, ba, 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 ba. All right, friends, that's our show. Tune in next time. Hey, more to come. More, more, more to come. Be sure to subscribe to our show. Follow us on IG and tell us what you think.